and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, and all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 85th episode of the podcast, airing the week of January 27th, 2020. Now, I am super jazzed to share my joy-inducing interview with Salt Lake City astrologer, author, lecturer, and historian, Christopher Renstrom, who's going to join me in a discussion on trash astrology, where Christopher is going to enlighten us to the history of popular astrology and provide us with some historical context around bringing astrology to the masses. As entertaining as it is enlightening, I do hope that you enjoy our chat. Also, keep a lookout on the lecture circuit as Christopher presents this topic in much more depth than we had a chance to get to here, so I highly recommend catching him if you can. He truly is a delightful storyteller. Now, a fabulous way to show appreciation for this podcast and my astrological efforts in general is to show support by signing up for my weekly Patreon-exclusive astrology forecast, uh, also known as an audio cast, which includes seven days of detailed astrology, plus tarot polls, and the Animal Ambassador of the Week. I also have a new segment at the end of the show called Ask Mel, where I answer patron questions, and I do encourage that you ask me anything. So new episodes launch weekly on Sunday at midnight Pacific time. So if you want to stay up to date with the micro and the macro of the dynamic energies and current shifts underway, I am here to help. So for $5 a month, you will have access to the weekly forecast. You might remember uh, that used to precede this interview portion. You'll also have early guest interviews before they reach the public. Like this one in particular comes to the patrons before it goes live to the public. And also, I have five of my Astro Storytime episodes, totaling in over six hours of Astro Chart interpretations and other mundane observations. Now, in addition to the $5 tier, for a few dollars more uh, with the $8 a month tier, you can get access to all I just mentioned, plus my weekly podcast show notes, and also the option to ask Mel any question you would like answered on the program. Now, there are so many hot spots in 2020, so to sign up for the forecast and stay in the know and support these interview broadcasts in the process, you can do so over at Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. You can also show support and appreciation by making a one-time donation over at Mel's Tip Jar, which you can find on the front page of energeticprinciples.com. And of course, you can book a personal consultation with yours truly, all of which can be done directly through my site. All right. Well, what is trash astrology anyway? Are you ready to hear all about it? I know I am. Okay, here we go. Now let's meet our guest. All right. I am so happy to welcome this week's special guest. We have Christopher Renstrom with us. Thank you for joining me, Christopher. Thank you for inviting me on your marvelous show. I am so happy to have him here today. I first met him. I mean, I've seen his name on the on the interwebs from time to time, but he came <laughs> and spoke for uh, SDAS. SDAS um, back in October, which was actually a uh, 
uh, a remake. It was a retrograde speaking because uh, he was <laughs> he was supposed to be back the year before. And anyways, we waited so long to get him. And oh my goodness, what a fabulous lecture it was. And oh. so I invited him on the podcast to uh, give us a little bit more about a topic that he's been diving into for quite some time now uh, called trash astrology. Now, I know you're interested just by the title. So uh, now, Christopher, before we get started in, in before we dumpster dive, um, <laughs> will you uh, give us a little background about yourself? Tell us who you are. Wow. <laughs> How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been a practicing astrologer since 1984, which is probably before you were born. No, but <laughs> but close. <laughs> okay. And uh, I started out in New York City uh, in the 1980s. And actually, I didn't start out with astrology, but with tarot cards. And I would go to um, uh, Danceteria, Mud Club, Area, uh, Studio, and I would work the VIP rooms. Um, from about 10 at night to, to uh, three or four in the morning. And then I would do the after club space. And so that's where I basically learned how to read tarot cards and do readings for people very much uh, quickly and on the spot um, and, and, and in all sorts of different locales and things like that. Out of that, um, I was introduced to an editor of Lure Magazine. And that's when I was able to turn my astrological practice into a regular monthly horoscope column for Allure magazine. Uh, and they published me from about, oh, I'd say 1992 to about 2007 or 2008. Mm. Um, and then after that, it was, um, or, or during that period, I've been published by Harper Collins, Lifetime TV, Patty Stanger, The Millionaire Matchmaker. I work with her a lot on her mixers and things. So the reason I'm going into all of this is to show that there's always been a very, um, non-astrology side to my astrology. In other words, it's, 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 it's an astrology that I like that I can do in different environments, that I can sort of hit the streets, that I can do them in clubs and things like that. And I can also write astrology as well for different um, entertainment venues. Um, again, hopefully to illustrate why I would be interested in such a thing as trash astrology. <laughs> I, I, I write a daily horoscope uh, column for uh, San Francisco uh, Chronicle and for sfday.com. And uh, and I'm sure there's some other things that are just escaping my mind at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he has Capricorn planets, so the man is busy. <laughs> but it seems like you're bringing astrology to the people since day one. And, and yeah. that's actually part of the topic uh, that you're going to help bring forward into our minds with trash astrology here, because it's essentially what it is. It's just, uh, it's a facet that has brought astro astrology to the common folk. Absolutely. Um, and, and so now, okay. So in all that busy time, I mean, you had to get to uh, you know, initiated into the world of astrology. So I've been Absolutely. asking everyone, you know, what was your entry point? What, when did the stars grab you, Christopher? Well, I, uh, I moved to New York City when I was 18 to attend the Juilliard School of Drama. Oh. And uh, Kevin Spacey and Liz McGovern were in my class, along with Kelly McGillis. Um, and so I thought it was going to be an actor. Um, and then I decided I was going to be a playwright. But uh, in between that time, a friend of mine at school, Kevin Ryan, said, well, why don't we go and learn this, learn astrology? Wouldn't that be a fun thing to go and learn? Don't you think it's intriguing? I'm like, yeah, let's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're 18, it's New York City, it's, you know, 19... 
1980. <laughs> and so uh, we went and uh, met our teacher, uh, Carolyn Asnian, who had been a star pupil of Zoltan Mason, uh, who had a very famous astrology bookstore on the Upper East Side. And she was a social worker therapist, and she was also an astrologer. And we would meet along with maybe eight to 10 other students every, every week. And she would sit in her high-backed wicker chair with a, smoking a cigarette, and she would teach us astrology, usually based on the charts of serial murders or different <laughs> criminals that she had culled from the records of New York City. <laughs> and we would have to identify signatures like, that's a rapist, or there's a prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> sort of thing. So it was very, it was marvelous. It, it was such a perfect education in astrology. Um, hilarious. But one of the beautiful things that she really taught was um, how to speak astrology, how to, how to listen to your client and how to speak astrology and how to listen to your client in the way that they ask for a question, because that would often show what was in the chart. Mm-hmm. You no, know, in other words, if there was a very strong Saturn, that might be the subject that they're bringing up, or there might be a very Venusian quality to the question that they're bringing up. So she taught us all how to listen to the chart being spoken by the client. And so that was very important for her. And the idea of listening, listening to the person that you're reading for was also very important. And then these are uh, really uh, cardinal rules that I've taken away from having studied under her. That's a fantastic takeaway because I tell you, if you want to know someone's chart, just listen to them because people are speaking their charts all the time. I I catch myself doing it (laughs) all the time too. I'm all, there's there's Saturn again. There's that Capricorn moon. Um, But it's true. And that's why dialogue is so important when it comes to sitting down with people because, you know, the chart obviously gives us the tools and the map and, you know, what we're looking at. But uh, it's so important to listen. So all you Geminis out there. (laughs) We're talking to you. Yeah, we're talking to you. They're like, what? Did did you say something? I'm not. Oh, I love that story. And I love that. Well, and so here you were, you like, thought you were going to be an, a dramatic actor and then maybe a playwright. And it just turns out that you just become a fantastic storyteller. And, and that's actually yeah. what we're going to be uh, engaging in today is hearing some of Christopher's stories. Um, and then, of course, I'm going to pick his brain around some of this stuff uh, around <laughs> trash astrology. So I guess the first question I would ask would be, what is trash astrology? <laughs> trash astrology is popular astrology, okay? It's astrology that's generated for the masses in publications and venues that are deliberately regarded as not being serious or academic astrology. Always done on the cheap, trash astrology first appears in America, United States of America, in the Almanac, Dream Books, and Secret Books of Knowledge that were published in the pre-revolutionary and federalist period. And it evolved along with media into now its mainstay. It's 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 newspaper uh, astrology, but I don't know how common that is nowadays. I know we have no newspapers anymore. We have online exactly. publications or, exactly. or or social medias, right? But it's still rough. And someone says a sun sign column or refers yes. to, but you know, fashion magazines, websites, blogs, apps. I mean, this is where it appears nowadays. And 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 the thing that's kind of fascinating is about astrology particularly trash astrology, is that it, it evolves 
as media evolves, mm-hmm. okay, that, that, you know, once you make that switch from uh, print into uh, newspaper print into magazines and glossies, it evolves with it. Um, when you go from that into radio, you get early astrology programs on the radio from Evangeline Adams. It shows up in TV. Uh, it's one of the first things on the internet. You know, the two things that, and they kind of evolve parallel tracks is, is astrology and pornography. Okay, these are the two things that make the jump every time you have a change. In the media. Okay. Well, we have to broadcast the important things, Chris. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and what it comes from clearly and obviously is audience appeal. They draw, you know, once we get into the internet, that's the thing that draws you to the website. I mean, you know, there, there's a huge uh, push when the internet becomes very popular of having an astrological column on your website or as part of your newspaper site or your magazine site or whatever, because it would bring in, in the magazines. And now that's translated to astrological memes with Instagram and Facebook and upping your following and building your brand and things like that. So astrology has always played this role. Um, it's something that people are absolutely fascinated by. Um, it's something that um, media goes in and out of whether they want to embrace it or not, you know, but at the end of the day, ultimately treat as a necessity, a necessary evil. We, we, we have to do this anyhow if, if we want these clicks and, and things like that. So trash astrology is not written for astrologers or students of astrology. That's the other thing to keep in mind. It's target audience is unfamiliar with the intricacies of the practice. Maybe they haven't even been to an astrologer, but they know that there's a sun sign, okay? And they might be interested in things that are bundled with astrology, like tarot or palmistry or things like that. So, so these are people who want that kind of information. They find it fascinating, but they don't want it to get too heavy. They don't want it to get too technical because that becomes kind of disconnected and, and, and a turnoff. But trash astrology will always orient itself towards three questions that I found. Mm. You know, am I having a good day? Am I having a bad day? And when will I fall in love? Ah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Span the gamut from sextrology to pet scopes Kabbaliscopes to the Hindu zodiac, you know, all of these sort of elaborate and exotic terms. But what I also want to introduce the idea here is that it's also responsible for transmitting through newspapers and magazines and social media ideas that were just coming into their own at the time. I mean, what astrology, trash astrology does for psychology when it's gaining a foothold in America mm-hmm. um, in, in the early 19-teens, what it does for feminism in 70s and the 80s. I mean, so, so although it's not really recognized as having served that purpose, those movements kind of glommed on or, or, or would be woven into the trash astrology predictions, whether it's through references or, 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 or descriptions or actually addressing particular topics. Um, the first uh, kind of fashion magazine or glossy magazine or whatever to really publish a regular magazine co- uh, column is Cosmo. Okay. Which, which, is, which is Helen Gurley Brown. And so this is feminism and women talking about their sexuality. And so astrology is right there. So, uh, so astrology was t- 
taking these ideas, um, yoga, Buddhism, and putting them into the American mainstream through people's um, horoscope columns and daily uh, predictions. Mm. That mention of Cosmo and Helen Gurley Brown, I mean, now, would you say that uh, maybe astrology in general, but maybe we'll, you know, focus in on trash astrology. Do you think women are more interested in the trash astrology or the quick bites or the um, it, it's fascinating. It's, it, it's fascinating because in the um, 19th century, in the research that I've done with periodicals in the 19th century, the big worry was, was um, men with feeble minds being interested or captured with astrology. And there's even a, um, a cover of Punch magazine in which this uh, labor union protester is sitting on a stool looking confused and empty. And his wife is like, dear, get your head out of the stars and, 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 and help raise our children. And he's talking to a man in a, in a Merlin cone who's pointing to stars and graphs. So, you know, in the 19th century, astrology was seen as um, popular astrology, trash astrology was seen as an evil of the masses. It was like, you know, appealed to stupid people who, who, who did burdensome things. Well, about maybe 30 to 50 years after that magazine cover, mm-hmm. there's a similar magazine cover where, with a man in a pointed hat, you know, who's pointing to a telescope in the stars, but the person he's talking to is a 1920s flapper. Mm. It's a woman. Okay, so before the woman was the put-upon wife, you know, pleading to her husband, but 30 to 50 years later, it's women. You know, and so... And so that's where the sort of audience changes. It begins through women's magazines. Uh, Comfort Magazine, which is a magazine that was published in the late 19th century, targeted for households, was the first to really produce a regular um, astrology column. And so women were reading this. Um, But what's kind of exciting about this is that America is the only country in which the strong astrological populace was women. Mm. Okay, In the other countries, it's men. But here it's women and it's women teaching themselves astrology. So not only are women being exposed and patronizing and and encouraging astrology in their magazines and newspapers and periodicals. And first, in fact, the first uh, daily horoscope writer to be syndicated, nationally syndicated in all the papers is Genevieve Kemble in 1917, a woman. And this is 13 years before R.H. Naylor. So, you know, not only is there a strong uh, female audience, but women are teaching themselves astrology and becoming astrologers to add, to 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 have income. <laughs> I mean, in the in the case of Genevieve Kemble, uh, she starts her column in 1917. She's 50 and she's widowed, mm. and she starts the first uh, syndicated newspaper column every day, and she writes it until 1954, and it's for income. You know, and it's a very intelligent and well-written column. Hopefully, later on in the show, I'll read an excerpt to sort of demonstrate, you know, her her writing style. Oh, that's so interesting, especially since she picked it up at, at you know a, a later age, and especially you know, <laughs> med- medicine hasn't advanced at that by that point. You no. know, like to live that long and to work that long, you know, and to sustain yourself that long. <laughs> she was a tavern owner's daughter out of San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. And so, obviously came from real tough stock. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, we commend her for being able to, you know, g- gain a new skill and then work that until the end of her days and successfully so. So hopefully we'll get to revisit her. 
Yeah. I've looked over her census record. She bought property. I mean, like, not only did she fund herself and her family, but she was buying property, I think, like in Berkeley or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In what I recall, I mean, uh, from, and maybe we can get into this a little bit later too, is there was actually a lot of money to be made in this. They made a lot, especially, I mean, um, Bella Bart went through millions of dollars um, and that's the 1920s and she loses it all in the stock market crash. Evangeline Adams uh, puts together an enormous amount of, of money and, and in the state. And then Linda Goodman, of course, is Linda Goodman. I mean, yeah. she... <laughs> <laughs> we all know who Linda Goodman is. You know, you ask when I'm asking, how did you get into astrology? I can't even tell you how many times Linda Goodman pops in <laughs> and is, is ushering people into... into and rightly so, and rightly so. And, and Linda Goodman is absolute trash astrology. I mean, she falls into that category. Now, people are going to be like, well, don't say that about Linda. She's very spiritual or whatever. But my point is the trash astrologers were all very uh, well-versed and educated in astrology. And they were very spiritual people. What they were not was didactic. Mm. Okay. So they wrote in a style that was accessible to people, that was entertaining, that you could um, engage with and understand, that you didn't have to know all the lingo and all the details and things like that. And this was their appeal. And again, one of their great gifts to astrology, you know, how do you speak to people? And they, uh, Linda Goodman, especially that pro style of hers is gorgeous mm-hmm. <laughs> in sun sign astrology. I mean, you just read it and, and the lines in there and the way that she weaves the story. It's just, it's, it's, it's exquisite. It's exquisite writing. Well, well, she must be a natural storyteller too. So now this, um, this makes me wonder is that how far back does this date? Like what, when do we see our first, you know, trash astrologer? Like when does this all start? And I know you mentioned that um, it was, it was more heavy in, in America or is it, you know? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's trash astrology is, is a, category that I'm still playing with, you know, yeah. and, and, and I'm loving playing with because um, you have, for instance, William Lilly writing during the uh, Parliamentarian Wars and um, he's pamphleteering. Is that trash astrology? You know, mm. he's, he's writing commercial and pamphleteering. Um, in many ways, one could say, yes, he's a trash astrologer because he's writing political astrology and people, and, and he's writing predictions that are pertaining to what's going on in government. And it's written for the common person to read. Um, it gets him into a lot of trouble. It gets astrology into a lot of trouble. Um, and actually, a lot of the associations and prejudices about astrology running rampant in the press come from that period of time. Um, because uh, one of the things he wrote about was the um, execution of the king in sort of these prophetic to- tones. He couldn't say it explicitly, but he implied it or that the king would be the losing side of this of this revolution. So, so this begins to bring up the fear of astrology running rampant in the press and becoming, you know, this kind of like uh, uh, inciting pop popular uh, movements and, and things like that, and how it has to be censored and controlled, which it becomes under uh, the king's son when he returns during the restoration period. So, you know, is that trash astrology or not? You know, so, sort of thing. But the true, real, like you cannot dispute that this is trash astrology, okay, um, is, is a book called The Book of Knowledge, okay? 
Now, the oldest version of the Book of Knowledge that we know of is from 1535. Um, and the Book of Knowledge was a sort of popular astrological and medical work. Um, it, it, was in, uh, it was written in four parts. The first part would be the astrological part. And, and in this section of the book, it would list the name and characters of the signs, the 12 houses, um, how you find out which sign you were born under. It talks about the seven planets, the five aspects of the sun's revolution in the signs. And then it begins, and this is where we get into trash astrology territory. Then it begins to list the evil days of the month. Oh. Okay. Remember, a trash astrology formula is good days, bad days. When will I fall in love? Okay. So this lists the evil days of the month, okay, which are especially uh, bad for the letting of blood, uh, which, if some of your audience remembers, is connected to the man of signs and. Um, each sign rules over a part of the body. And the idea was to demonstrate or illustrate you never wanted to let blood when the moon was in that sign ruling that part of the body. Um, planetary hours was part of this and the significance of the seven planets with respect to man's body, which, which I just described. Part two was humor and temperaments. Part three, physiognomy, face reading, and palmistry, along with the significance of moles and the interpretation of dreams. And then part four was a farmer's calendar complete with weather predictions, crop husbandry, and animal husbandry tips. And so this kind of like collection of things is really the first trash astrology. It's a, it's a household uh, uh, fixture, you know, it's there along with the almanac or the calendar. Um, it comes over on the Mayflower with all the colonists. Uh, astrology comes to America in three forms. It comes in the um, Culpeper Herbal, it comes in the Almanacs, and it comes in the Book of Knowledge. And it's in America where the Book of Knowledge really takes off with printing. In the 1700s, um, I think America uh, was responsible for like, I, I, I sort of, it's kind of like, for like like half the printing of it, it was what it was on a page that has like disappeared. So I apologize. But we know it's prolific here, and we were just <laughs> copying that thing. <laughs> and it was republished through the 1700s. And the reason why I sort of really um, emphasize that is that uh, you have to remember that in America, the printing press isn't what it was in England. Paper was scarce, ink was scarce, the press was scarce. So what books got printed was very, very particular, right? Mm. And so for the book of knowledge to have basically, what I would say is be a bestseller. Oh yeah, that is. It went through 42 editions in the 18th century. Wow. And that's almost, and half of, half of them were in North America. Okay, so which had compromised or, or short supplies of print. So this tells you how popular the book was. And this is how people are learning astrology. It's, it's, it's right there. Um, it, they, it's, it's kept on the wall next to their almanac, which is their calendar, which is also talking about the moon and planets and the signs. So Americans are already familiar with astrology in the colonial period is really kind of the takeaway for all of them. Mm, yes. And that, well, and that's a long, that's a long history there. And it makes a lot of sense that the books that we see nowadays and kind of like the cookbook style and like getting you close to the those, <laughs> those um, you know, just 
that's how people get initiated into astrology, it seems, through those little bite-sized pieces. And especially back then, you know, they were looking to their crops and how do we keep ourselves alive with, you know, these phases. Um, but it makes me wonder, so, so here we have this book that's helping usher in, but when do we get the actual individual? Like an individual is like, I'm going to take this knowledge to the public. I'm going to spread, uh, you know, my, my trash astrology. I'm going to make money off of this. Um, who was that person that, <laughs> well, that that shows up in a variety of different ways. Um, Robach is the first is the one. Okay, yeah. he's the culprit. Um, he's the he's he's the um, he's the astrological rip off fortune telling archetype. <laughs> okay, and he shows up in the middle of the 19th century in America. And, uh, but he's not really producing a column. What he's doing is that he's buying ad space in the newspapers, you know, claiming that he's the seventh son of the seventh son and this has gone back to Egypt and he knows all these oracular truths and things like that. And he can not only read your fortune, but find your lost husband who dumped you and ran off. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, husbands weren't running off with, uh, with other mistresses or whatever at that time. The big worry with the immigrant population is that husbands couldn't fund the family that they brought over, so they would just leave. Oh. Okay, so, so Robach would like, you know, create charms and things like that to bring your husband back and, and, and things like that. So he engages in, this, in these uh, newspaper volleys, okay, where he writes letters to the editor, I mean, particularly in Philadelphia, you know, making predictions. And they're wildly off. I mean, they're really dreadful <laughs> predictions because he didn't know what to do. He was actually stealing them from Thomas Haig, who was a reputable Philadelphia astrologer at the time. And there's a lawsuit and that's how we know Robach's story. But anyway, so he's writing the papers and these predictions are off and the newspapers are laughing at him, but he keeps writing. And so the public is buying more and more newspapers because this back and forth volley that's going on is so entertaining and so hysterical that it's become its own feature in a newspaper. You know, it sounds like the National Enquirer uh, for the for astrology. That's what it was, and he's and it's because of him that we have the um, anti fortune telling laws. He had made so much money off of people, and and with elixirs and charms and predictions that he never knew how to do things like that. That he's he's the reason we had the laws first, and they begin in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia were the most strict. And so, um, in fact, William Cheney years later is, is arrested under that law because, because of uh, Robach. But Robach's kind of the first, you know, sinister slash clown figure, but he's the one that everyone's like, okay, that's what astrologers are going to do. If you follow them, they're trying to like swindle you, get money from you, things like that. That all goes back to one person, mm. and that would be Robach. Um, we have serious astrological publications and magazines and things like that come out. But the first person who really, the reason astrology doesn't take off, like for instance, dream interpretation or palmistry, you know, in newspapers and magazines and things like that in the 19th century um, is that it was so damn difficult to explain, yeah. you know, uh, what you were going to talk about a moon and a house and a rising sign and, oh, you're making my head hurt. You know, so astrology over the 19th century deteriorates to about six pages in these dream journals. Everyone loved dream interpretation journals. That was the big hot ticket item, okay? But there would be about six pages of you were born in the spring, you're fire and heart tempered and things like that. And it would give like a basic description of the sign and that was it. 
But in 1903, it's Dr. J.R. Phelps who writes a book called um, Birthday Horoscopes, which is really the predecessor of the secret language of birthdays. This is the first book that divides the zodiac signs into 12 sections while completely leaving the planetary influence influences totally off the table. Okay, so, so you look up your birthday and you see your sign and it's in this book. Um, he's, it's also the first book to describe cusp people. That's people born with the sign on the dividing line of two signs as possessing a nature that partakes of both characteristics of the signs. So this becomes a big hit, this book, um, um, the uh, 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 Birthday Horoscopes book. And it's sold as part of, you know, I, I mean, it becomes a hit because people give it to people for their birthday. Birthday, yeah. <laughs> and, and it spawns journals and all these sorts of things. And so this begins in 1903. Mm-hmm. But as I was referencing earlier, the first person who really, really brings astrology to the masses is Genevieve Campbell. And that's in her column, um, uh, Tomorrow's Horoscope which first appears on February 20th, 1917. It's syndicated through newspaper feature services and it runs coast to coast. And everyone in the morning opens up their paper and they read about their daily horoscope for that day. Now, to clarify, it's not based on the sun sign. It's based on the position of the planets. But, the, but you can hear um, in her description, if I can share it with you, yeah. really what becomes the template for everything that follows. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Let's okay. hear it. <laughs> These were written every day and they're like a short little paragraph. And so she writes, this being the day of the new moon, it is auspicious for undertaking new ventures of whatsoever nature. Never begin a thing with the moon on the wane as it is then losing in magnetic attraction tending to dissipate and diffuse, and not to promote or increase. Therefore, push all interests, especially new deals and undertakings, but use cool judgment as the quarrelsome Mars tends to rashness, haste, and disputes. Buy and speculate, but with deliberation. Be temperate and calm in all things. A fortunate day in money matters, the moon being friendly to Jupiter, the financial planet, and also the great benefic. Children born this day will be active and persevering and generally fortunate. Now, what you hear there is a reference to the moon, which everyone would know from almanacs, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple of references to the planets, but it's intertwined in with the prediction that she's giving and the explanation. She's kind of teaching you these characters and how they interact. And she weaves in her uh, prediction with all of this. And then she ends on what goes on to become kind of the biggest gimmick. Okay. The children born on this day gimmick. Okay. (laughs) This one gets repeated infinitely. Okay. But she's the first one who does this. So although she's not technically a sun sign, you know, she doesn't write 12 different predictions for each sign. She's, she weaves in this idea that your birthday is connected to your sign. And if you're born on these day, this day, you're going to have these qualities along with your prediction. And this is what appears in print from 1917 to 1954 every day without fail. 
Wow. That is, I mean, I feel like that's what I do with my forecast because I'm telling about the mundane things in the sky. And so here she is, you know, the first person coming out, taking it out of the snake oil or astrological mm-hmm. snake oil, man. Um, and really giving people, uh, even though it was like the bite-sized chunks, like you were saying, you know, it, it seems like she was giving people more substance to work with and, and introducing the characters. Like you were saying how she's you know, she's teaching us. She's, because the more that we know, the more we're going to be hooked on the next thing that comes out. You know, if you become involved with, with, you know, irritating Mars or benefic Jupiter, you want to know, well, what are they doing in the skies now? It's like a big soap opera of the planets. And she's just giving us our daily, uh, you know, um, brief. Right. (laughs) Daily brief. (laughs) Perfect. Well, what I love about it and what I love sharing about it with your audience is that for anyone who writes a blog or whatever, you know, that's probably maybe 115, 120-ish words, Mm -hmm. okay? And the way that she interlaces everything and references very quickly, but she never goes off topic and she sums it up in a prediction. I mean, there's a real skill to this type of writing, you know, which is why, again, I deliberately like to use the incendiary name trash astrology because there's nothing trashy about it it's clear that she's very educated in it and she is writing it for people who don't know anything about it but you know are familiar with moon phases from almanacs and things like that so she really is this bridge figure um uh uh, between you know serious astrology and astrology for the masses and she does right by the serious side and she does right by the masses yeah. Oh, I love it. And it makes me think of trash astrology too, the idea of the disposable, because it, you know, her column is a perfect example of that because it's really only valid for a short period of time. A day. You, you know, a day. <laughs> so, I mean, if that isn't disposable, you know, like <laughs> we, we can use it for 24 hours and then basically throw it away because at that point, you know, you don't have it doesn't hold value except in the moment. Um, and so that's kind of what came to mind there. Now, yeah. But, you know, so what I'm gathering from this is that, you know, between our snake oil man, who's probably not giving the best reputation to astrology, (laughs) to, uh, you know... He he got astrology deemed illegal. And and to a a woman who helps to elevate it and and bring it even more to the masses and maybe give it some credibility um, in its short, you know, uh, lived... um, what am I trying to say? My mind is just blanking. But I want to know how these people, uh, you know, what type of reputation did they give astrology? How did that perpetuate astrology to get to, you know? Well, that's the whole point. It perpetuated astrology. Yeah. Okay. Once astrology is thrown out of the European universities in the early 1600s, okay, um, because it was part of academia, you know, uh, Urania is one of the seven liberal arts, you know, and so uh, astrology was part of your academic education. Well, once it's bumped out of the universities because now it's gone to astronomy and it's not astrology, okay, that would have meant, that would have been a death knell <laughs> for astrology, you know, um, and, and, it's, and it's amazing how close to extinction astrology has come at different times in its, in its history. Um, one of the things that I say when people are like, oh, the church is against astrology and that whole sort of debate, well, the church is responsible for astrology. If the Vatican and the monasteries hadn't kept those copies, okay, um, 
Or if they had outlawed them, they could have easily gone and destroyed Ptolemy. They could have easily gone and destroyed Firmicus Maternus. They could have easily gone and destroyed Manileus, and we would have had nothing. Yeah. You know, so astrology has come to the brink of extinction on a number of different occasions. Um, in this case, um, and, and it was coming to extinction in Britain because when, um, when uh, Charles II comes back uh, after his father is executed, the first thing he wants to get rid of is astrology, you know, because <laughs> that was part of his, you know, he creates the Royal Society and all these sorts of things. So it's the popular astrology, it's the trash astrology that keeps astrology out in the masses, people reading it, you know, um, and, and, and that reading audience is what keeps astrology alive, and that's what evolves, you know, then you, then, then you get people like Evangeline Adams, uh, who follows just years after uh, Genevieve Kemble, and, and some of the other, you know, great trash astrologers. But at the same time, you have critics who are absolutely trying to get rid of it. Um, one of them, uh, the philosopher uh, Theodore Adorno, um, in his book, I think it's called Stars, Stars Down to Earth, um, targets Carol Ryder his daily astrology column in the 1950s in the, in the LA newspaper and says he's planting seeds of fascism. You know, um, for anyone who's read George Orwell's 1984, one of the great ills of doublespeak or whatever is the daily horoscope column. So, I mean, it was painted with these villainous colors of like, you know, it's going to seep into your mind, like comic books or pornography. It's going to seep into your mind and, and, and ruin you and spoil you and, and, and things like that. And of course, the more you tell a public that, the more the public is individually. Like, to me, where is it? How do I get where it? Is it? Get it, get it. <laughs> How do I get a copy? <laughs> <laughs> it's like your mom telling you no, and you're like, oh, I'll find it. I'll get there. Corrupt me, please. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, but it's extraordinary, the evolution. I mean, we go from Campbell to Evangeline Adams, who is basically the Johnny Appleseed of astrology in the United States of America. It's because of her that astrology is really as well known as, as it is. Um, you know, she, you wrote in your questions, she answered them. She wrote articles on a regular basis for all the top women's magazines in the 1920s. She came out with a series of books, um, How to Learn Astrology, that were carried by uh, Woolworths from coast to coast. And she's the first astrologer to have a, a, a corporation sponsor, Forhan's Toothpaste, for her radio shows, you know, where she would give predictions on the air on radio. So she was an enormous success um, in the 1920s, which is also the Roaring Twenties. And, and, and she really... Um, puts astrology on the map. She commercializes mm-hmm. astrology and, and builds what we would nowadays call a brand. But what's fascinating, what comes out of it is that the magazines that follow her are then modeled or created in a way to look like movie magazines, which are selling on the news racks. And she's the first one to take a horoscope of a star, of a famous celebrity, and to write a prediction for it and a profile and things like this. I have no idea why astrology history books continue to erroneously report that it's R.H. Naylor who begins this in 1930 with with Princess Margaret's... 
Evangeline Adams was doing this all through the 1920s, you know, and publishing in newspapers and things like that. Naylor got the idea from her. Um, so, so it's, it's, but she, so, so you could read a star's prediction and see their chart and that played into fan mail and, and movie. And so astrology magazines are, are printed to look like pulp magazines or to look like movie magazines. So you would buy the, you would buy them together. So this is what really, again, promotes um, astrology literacy. Yeah. Really in, in the United States of America in the 1930s. Yeah. It gave us something to talk about. You know, you could talk about it with yourself and what's going on, you know, with your own predictions and your own life. And then you get to talk about it with the star, which back then, you know, stars were even more stars than they are now. You know, oh, there, yeah. there are fewer of them. They were all placed, you know, <laughs> in, in right. only publications that came out. And the, so then to then attach astrology to predictions for stars and then have your own, uh, you know, connection with it. I, I can totally see where this brand is going and how this develops. Uh, to the point to where we're even discussing this today on this podcast, because if it weren't for these people that came before uh, in these formats uh, of trash astrology, who knows if it would have had a resurgence in the way that it, you know, we're experiencing it now or in the seventies as well. So, I, I, uh, well, the, what we need to understand is that there are cycles that astrology goes through in this country where it's extremely popular. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's very big in the Civil War. Okay, that's Luke Dennis Broughton, and he actually has a reputable journal. That's what, a magazine that runs during the Civil War where he's doing um, Civil War predictions of battles, and he actually even successfully predicts the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, oh. which is why you can't find an original version of his newspaper clippings because all the Civil War fanatic freaks have like grabbed it, and it's all part of their paraphernalia. So it's all stowed away in closets of, of people who collect yeah. Civil War <laughs> Yeah, not for us astrologers. We'll have to. <laughs> we, had a big, we had a big wave of it in the early 1900s. 1920s with Evangeline Adams. Um, newspaper columns were even saying more people know the Zodiac signs than they know um, the members of the president's cabinet. I mean, astrology was an enormous success in the 1920s. It elevates and goes even further in the 1930s because it, that's the movie uh, industry. Sidney Bennett, his, his uh, astrology name was Wynn, um, was uh, an astrologer, uh, a very serious astrologer, who also was a Hollywood publicist. And so he, he got all the charts of Hollywood stars and things like that, and he published magazines with that information, along with a daily new newspaper horoscope. This 1930s, by the 1930s, you have a daily newspaper horoscope that's being syndicated, along with Genevieve Kemble, and that's, and that's uh, Wynn's. And so uh, he becomes an enormous deal with that. Uh, 1940s, it's kind of like we're at war. Astrology is still kind of there. Uh, but in the 1950s, you have Carol Ryder beginning. And him, and he's out of LA and he's predicting for the stars. Marlena Dietrich won't go on set without consulting um, Carol Ryder first. And so that's in all the magazines and things like that, uh, which takes us into the 60s and the 70s where you have... Um, where you have Sidney Omar, who's a regular fixture fixture on the Merv Griffin show, yeah. okay, which is broadcast every day at like 12 or 1, 1 p.m. And Sidney Omar's there like once a week or once a month or whatever, talking about astrology. So, so this is how it gets into the public. If it weren't for this, we would have been 
stuck with astrological books. And if you read astrological books from that period, or even the magazines, okay, that, that are written by astrologers for astrologers or serious students of astrology, the language is so stilted in the scientific dry terminology. It's, it's, it's very defensive writing. It, it wants to be taken seriously, and now it's going to get technical with all this scientific jargon. It's either that or your other style of writing is this overly embroidered, esoterical, incoherent <laughs> rambling of like, the stars hit this light, which hit this or whatever. <laughs> you know, these were not going to be big sellers, yeah. okay, as far as the populace was concerned. Whereas trash astrology, because these People were so gifted. I mean, many of them were newspaper writers. Linda Goodman was a newspaper reporter. They knew how... Cindy Omar was a newspaper reporter. They knew how to write copy. Yeah. Okay. And for everyone who blogs, who does an Instagram thing, these are your true ancestors. <laughs> okay. These are the people who, knows, who know, knew what it's like to... How do you get that interest? How do you come up with that catchy line? How do you condense it? How do you fit it into the space? How do you talk to 500,000 followers that you're never going to meet in person? Yeah. <laughs> These are the people who created that type of astrological writing and that type of astrology. Yes. And th those are the entertainers because I, what I'm hearing here is we hear, we're seeing entertainment and we're seeing celebrity merge. Um, and, and astrology nestled itself nicely into those two things uh, and really built a name for itself through those avenues. And so I'm wondering now how, so it's helped perpetuate astrology to where we can discuss it today. But I'm wondering how, you know, being attached to celebrity and, and the trash component of just here and every day, something new, uh, how did that affect the reputation of serious astrology? <laughs> well, let's just say there were a lot of sour grapes. <laughs> There always are. There always are. <laughs> well, it's like academia. You've got, you know, people in academia who do paper after paper and they do serious research, you know, and then you've got Henry Louis Gates Jr., you know, who's almost like a, you know, who, who has a PBS series or, 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 you know, the academics who become these big celebrities. Camille Paglia was another one, you know, who become these really popular, uh, oh, oh, Bloom, Harry Bloom, was it Harry, who, who was, you know, uh, academics who can write off a book and it's on the, the New York Times. It's that same um, uh, uh, rivalry that's yeah. going on. Because, you know, there are people who like, you know, would write very, very serious astrology. Um, and, and, and I don't mean to demean their contributions. You know, Dane Rojar is a very, is a towering figure in astrology in the history of the United States, you know, and, and he goes in the serious astrology column. I would never put him in a trash astrology column, although he had trash astrology envy. He sure did try. <laughs> he tried. He wanted that entertainment, but you know, at the end of the, well, that's just the thing is some people are entertainment focused by nature. And some people are more kind of, you know, scientific by the book or like, you know, just more intellectual than here. Let me entertain you. And so I think there's room for all all of us. Uh, but this. to be fair to both sides, it's really a mix of both sides. Yeah. Um, Dane Ridjar is difficult reading and not because his concepts are difficult. The man needed an editor, but 
you know, he's, he's really, he, he's an important voice. I'm not sure how much he's recognized by younger people today, but he's really, really an important voice. There is no, uh, uh, when uh, Sidney Bennett was a highly respectable astrologer in serious astrology circles, um, Carol Ryder's technicality and technique was expert. Evangeline Adams, you cannot dispute um, her mastery of astrological technique, even though um, Aleister Crowley really tried to uh, smear her name. Uh, but then what do you want from a drug addict who's living off of you know, money that's being paid to you? Okay, that's the story of Aleister Crowley and Evangeline Adams in a nutshell. But, you know, these people were, were often trashed, you know, mm-hmm. by serious astrologers as not knowing their astrology. They knew it. You know, and again, for any of your audience members who blog or whatever about astrology, you better know astrology because there's no way you could write a daily horoscope, a weekly horoscope, or a monthly horoscope, or do any kind of forecasting unless you know it. You know, I mean, newspapers, and and there's lots of stories in newspapers firing people because they didn't know the astrology because they would make it up and run out of steam after about two weeks or a month. Mm -hmm. So that whole myth of like, oh, just making it up. No way. The only thing that's going to sustain you, you know, are those astrological muscles is, yeah. is, is, is the mastery of that technique. Well, and it is key to know that it, with the world of the internet and so many things being out there, I totally agree with that. If you're going to have a solid column and you're going to write those things, you have to know about astrology and your people will know over time. Either it'll check out or it won't. But there will be a lot of other sites out there um, that, because I have a, I have a friend who uh, her husband's uh, stepdad, he, this man buys websites and makes things on them that he thinks people are going to go to and attracts traffic. And one of those things uh, is astrology. And you'll just have people write what has nothing to do with astrology. They don't know what they're talking about. And all he's doing is driving ad traffic to those websites. And so it's important. So there are new layers of trash (laughs) that are still... (laughs) There's new layers of trash. (laughs) Just keep piling up. Um, so it, you know, it, I, it has such a wonderful service to, um, give, to bridge the gap of what we're talking about here, but there, you know, there still are some things to be wary of, uh, but out there. Out very quickly with that, Mel, is that mm-hmm. that's connected to any profession. Yes, true. Yeah. And what happens is that astrology is a profession that brings out a lot of prejudice. And so that's where, you know, astrology kind of like gets dumped on with all of that. But you try telling me that's not at work in the medical profession, or it's not at work in um, those big mega churches, or you know, it, or politicians. <laughs> I don't know why we still think they're supposed to have character. <laughs> I know, I know. So, so it's really it's 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 true of all professions, but because. Um, astrology was so tar and feathered or, or, you know, the tar brush was really painted over astrology um, that it carries this. But, you know, this goes on in the scientific profession. It goes on in the medical profession. So, you know, it's going to happen wherever. And as you pointed out, uh, what was it? Your friend's father, uh, the website. Oh, he just makes websites, whatever websites he thinks draw draw traffic. traffic. Right. Yes. To draw in traffic, you know, and so, and that's, that's the point of it. But, what trash astrology is responsible is it's responsible for literacy, astrological literacy in this country. Um, because many of the serious astrologers, I mean, you see them starting out in the 1910s, you know, oh, lamenting and, and things like that. But what they're not understanding is that the more that the public becomes literate, 
in this, the more the public can teach themselves, mm-hmm. want to emulate it, want to do it for themselves. Yeah. You know, they support astrology, but they also, you know, they're, they're going to be the flybys, but they're going to be people in which they read that Linda Goodman and they got hooked on astrology. You know, they didn't necessarily get hooked on it because they read some tome, you know, that lists <laughs> all the great trajectories and how to do this and that. You know, I mean, some of them in the 30s, I'm like, oh, to the astrological student. I mean, it begins <laughs> like that. I'm like, oh my God, I'd close that book in a New York <laughs> Well, okay, so this brand, because I, I know we only have a finite amount of time, as Capricorn knows. So I want to know why you got into this mission or what started you on this journey with trash astrology? Um, and, and what was your process with unearthing this? Like, where, where's your mission lie here? <laughs> well, because I'm a trash astrologer. I, <laughs> I'm a proud trash astrologer. I write a daily call of, you know. Um, and I love it. I, uh, it was part of a pet peeve. Uh, the most obnoxious thing after like, do you really believe in that? You know, being asked, you know, uh, and, and, and I would change my answer. No, I don't. And I'm making lots of money fooling people. I'm, you know, don't tell. You know, because it was just so annoying when people would ask that yeah. at like dinner parties. You know, but then the one after that would be like, oh, you know, being derogatory towards the person who wrote the Daily Horoscope. And it was just like, whoa. I mean, it began defensive, but then it was like, okay, let's take a look at this. Are they just making it up? And then going back and and, and doing the research and reading and comparing the different writing styles, I I have always had this historian side to me, you know, um, and and, and the big appeal of astrology to me has always been history. But the history of astrology isn't just told in, in the books. The history of astrology is told in the hit in the history of art or in the history of media you know i mean these are tremendous strains and nuggets of astrological history that we um as astrologers ignore and i think what happened or what's happening uh now is now with social media um and how uh all over the place omnipresent astrology really really is i think this speaks to a lot of people, the people who are writing it and to the people who are following it. Um, we're seeing test-driven, you know, has astrology shown up because it's going to be a corrupting influence. Adorno writes about this. Uh, uh, George Orwell writes about this. So is it going to be a corrupting influence? Is it, you know, is it a pendulum swing between the religious right and astrology in this country? I mean, it's very dramatic. And the questions that it asks are very, very powerful and very, very relevant. So this is the stuff that really, really drives me. Mm. So now during this process, was there any, did you like unearth any particular detail or story or person that kind of like blew your mind or you're like, oh, I didn't know this or uh, any secrets come out through your, your trip down memory lane? <laughs> where, where did, well, Genevieve Kemble is actually, I, I, would, I would say Genevieve Kemble is the biggest, the biggest reveal. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one knows who she is. I didn't, I found her by accident. Okay. There've been two big reveals in my research, Genevieve Kemble and um, Sarah Warner. Uh, The Sarah Warner astrological chart. Sarah Warner's chart I found in the stacks of some historical society in some city or somewhere. Um, And she was born April 1st, 1776. Mm. 
So it's the first American chart that we have, to my knowledge, on record. But what's fascinating about it is that not only is it the astrological chart, but the astrologer wrote the entire prediction of her life out on that single piece of paper. Oh, wow. So you can see the technique that the astrologer was using to analyze her chart. And that technique, I, I guess this is actually the answer to your question, that technique made no sense when I looked at it. I was like, this makes zero sense. And, you know, this is back in 2001, I found it in 1998. I was thinking, did they not know what they were doing, not making it up or whatever? Um, so I ran the chart through a computer. It was, abs- it was calculated perfectly. Okay, so it was calculated correctly, which then leads the question, why is this prediction, the references in this prediction so weird for a chart that's calculated so perfectly? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then what I realized is that the person was using the planetary hours in the book of knowledge to read the chart. And once I translated it to the planetary hours, all of a sudden, all the references made perfect sense. So that was kind of like the first big thing, you know? Uh, it was like evidence of like, wow, how astrology was being practiced here. Right, yeah. Love it. And then the, the next one is Genevieve Kemble, who um, really predates everyone who's gotten credit, and they're usually men, for inventing the first horoscope column and, you know, leave it to like, okay, it's a guy in Britain who gets the credit. When it actually, it's a widowed woman in America who deserves the credit, and I've got it, you know, proof, evidence, and things. So she's the second one. She and Sarah Warner are the two great discoveries for me. Oh, I'm sure she's from her grave right now going, go, Christopher, go. Share my (laughs) message. Let them know. I love that. Uh, So, well, and that begs the question of where, you know, where do you think this current stage of astrology is? uh, Because we're totally in a resurgence right now. Astrology is almost bigger than ever in the modern age. Because the media is bigger than ever. Exactly. bigger than ever. So that's why it's bigger than ever. You're absolutely right about that. Now, what I, because in my mind, immediately when I think Trash, trash astrology in 2020, my mind goes to the internet, like uh, the memes, all the astrology memes that are out right. there. Some of them are great. Some of them are like, they're written by people that, you know, you know what you're doing and, and the reference is so, you know, solid that almost you have to be an astrologer <laughs> to get that. But then right. there's others that you're just like, what? what? Who comes up with this? And so what, what do you think about that whole trend or how that... Uh, I, I, I celebrate it. I think it's fabulous. I think we're living the 21st century or the early 21st century version of Poetry Slam. Mm. I think that this is um, astrology's version of a poetry slam. And a poetry slam would be, you know, you get a bunch of poets getting on up and they have to compete with each other. You know, it's got to be spontaneous or whatever. And, and how's that poem coming on out? Um, and I think this came out of the rapper tradition or... Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it does. And so this kind of dueling or this kind of, um, you know, I, I'm getting my astrology on. You know? <laughs> and because and what they're fighting for is, is not only the, it's not always the prediction. It's, it, it, it's often the wit, you know, like, was that a funny remark or did you get a good spin on that? You know, did that, you know, do something with you? So I see this as really coming out of that poetry slam impulse where people are dueling while they're learning astrology. So I celebrate it. I I think it's a perfect 
expression of contemporary trash astrology. You know, it's outside, <laughs> it's not approved of, it's not acceptable in, in polite astrological society. society yes. <laughs> the older card, you know, roll their eyes and say, where is astrology going now or whatever. But what's so vibrant and wonderful is that um, it's people... T- it's, it's astrological literacy. People are teaching themselves astrology and they're getting turned on about it. I love um, uh, the political vein that it's going on with Chani Nicholas, who is mm-hmm. absolutely um, a descendant of Linda Goodman. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think she's the only astrologer after Linda Goodman who ends up with a book on the New York Times bestseller list <laughs> where, where it's there. Yeah. And um, the way that her political message has connected with astrology, if you read Linda Goodman, especially love signs. There's a strong political message coming out of spirituality and things like that. So Channing Nicholas is absolutely picking up on that impulse, you know, and 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 bringing it to to a different level. Um, so, you know, the popular astrology is is it will always be um, our Noah's Ark. You know, and, and we're going through a period right now where we, we're leaving the ark and all the animals are repopulating the world and, and things like that. So it's a really, really good period. But the swings between astrology, you know, when astrology goes in and out of favor are much more based on religion than they are with science. Mm. Um, and so uh, if you remember, for instance, back in the 90s or turn of the century, the big thing was end times. You know the the, the rapture. That was the, the pictures big... coming. They're coming for us. <laughs> oh, and, 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 or you're going to float up, and we're now going to find. You know, so that was yeah. the big thing. So this um, this world of tomorrow, whether it's going to be the utopian astrological vision or this dystopian rapture, you know, is is something which is it's 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 infused in the American psyche. You know, we were founded by people not looking for religious freedom, but people who were looking for the new Jerusalem that they uh, fully expected to descend from heaven and appear in America in their lifetime. So, you know, that's the story behind the religious founding in this country. And it comes out in, in, in fundamentalism and, and, and its emphasis on, 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 you know, this kind of rapture and times and all these sorts of things. It's a whole different subject, but these are the true, these are the two uh, impulses that drive this kind of, uh, these are the two impulses that drive this American imagination. Mm. You know, it's astrology on one hand and, and the religion on, on the other hand, because at the end of the day, um, even though science is the great, you know, explainer or whatever, it's really boring because it's being described in like heavy technical terms with too many pencils in the shirt pocket, <laughs> no matter how they try yeah. Or whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, religion, religion and astrology both, you know, they're tapping into something that we can't uh, necessarily verify with those cold, hard facts. Um, right. And that's why they live in the same space, you know, uh, in, in the chart there. And I know that, you know, a lot of uh, organized religion is down um, on their numbers uh, in, in places. And, and astrology is almost becoming a religion to a lot of people now, well, as, too. Astrology stepped into a vacant space. You're right uh, about that. It, it stepped into um, uh, the tremendous uh, loss of belief in institutions that were supposed to support belief and principles has crumbled. Um, the way that psychotherapy has become much more um, prescription-driven, 
mm-hmm. rather than counseling. Um, so it's really left this wide open space for astrology, which has always practiced these principles, you know, talking about addressing the life of the spirit. Um, and providing counsel and therapy, and then getting it back to the earth, you know, and, you know, getting it back to your body, your body clock, uh, your calendar, you know, bringing it back to you and your responsibility in the universe. I mean, right now, astrology's message is even more urgent because we're the first species capable of destroying the planet. <laughs> we can do that. So, <laughs> Truth so, spoken. <laughs> yeah, so astrology is addressing that existential crisis, that spiritual existential crisis, which is not really being addressed in the religious institutions or, or, or what are supposed to be the higher institutions. But it's, it's not being addressed there. So, so it, it's not based on a disillusionment. It's based on really speaking relevantly to what's going on right now. Astrology always emerges during times of crisis. It's popular in this country during World War I. It's popular in this country during World War II. It's popular in this country during the Civil War. Okay, um, in England, the parliament- And Vietnam, too. And you Vietnam, when, yeah. yes. Sorry, I, I, that's been such an obvious thing in my head, but absolutely, Vietnam. So, it's, Well, look at that. Yeah. I love that. Well, Christopher, you've shared so many fascinating details with us. I'm sure the listeners are just going to love hearing, the, you know, where did this all come from? Why are we even talking about this today? How, you know, how is astrology the way it is? And, you know, these keystone steps that you laid out before us are, are were crucial uh, to the astrology that we know and love today. Yeah. Um, so I thank you for that. Now, where, okay, so where can people find you? What do you got going on? Do you got something to tell us? Did you just finish something? I don't know. Maybe. Um, uh, a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, uh, well, uh, first of all, you can always contact me through my website, which is rulingplanets.com. Um, where I carry daily horoscopes and weekly horoscopes, along with other things that if you subscribe, you could read the background of your ruling planet and things like this. This is what the uh, website is all about. So you could either contact me for a reading or, or, or get uh, predictions and things like that there. I believe in continuing writing a daily horoscope and a weekly horoscope. To me, that's like doing exercises on the piano. Mm-hmm. It keeps those muscles you know, going. And, and, and I can't, recommend enough to people who are learning astrology to write a daily horoscope. You know, it teaches you your stars and the movement of the planets like nobody's business, or at least a weekly or a monthly one. Um, so you can get me there. Um, I'm, I've, I've just completed my manuscript for my second book, which is called uh, The Cosmic Calendar, which will be published by Tartra Perigee, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House in October 2020. So please keep a look for that. And um, obviously, uh, trash astrology is being lectured about, mm-hmm. and um, that has also uh, is in discussions with with my publishing house for a book with that. But I have to write another book before that. <laughs> so, <laughs> His work is no, Capricorn's work is never done, <laughs> never is it? Done, damn it! You get more of it the older you get. 
<laughs> yeah, isn't that right? Yeah. So uh, while Christopher is climbing the mountain, <laughs> um, again. <laughs> yes, again, he just he just finished climbing. He'll continue. He's like at the he's like at a step summit. He's not to the peak. <laughs> the peak just keeps getting farther and farther, but the air is thinner and thinner. <laughs> it only makes it more irresistible. <laughs> of course. I, I've come this far. I must keep going. Uh, so, well, I'm going to share all those, um, you know, all of Christopher's contacts on my blog post as I normally do. And I'm hoping, Thank I think you. he's going to share a couple photos with me of some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, maybe, yeah, uh, you know, just a couple teaser uh, images to kind of get, you know, a feel for uh, the content of this podcast. So uh, where can you find me? Well, you can find me at energeticprinciples.com um, and on the social medias at Energetic Principles, both on Facebook and Instagram. Do you have a, a Twitter handle or um, anything yeah. like that? Yeah, what I is do. that? Something. He's looking into the, he's literally <laughs> looking into the, the, the sky right now. <laughs> at the other computer screen. Um, on Instagram, it's Ruling Planets. And on Twitter, it's Christopher Rundstrom or Perfect. Ruling Planets. One of those two. One of those two. Well, I'll probably find it anyways and, and put a hot link. Christopher <laughs> memorize those damn things. <laughs> hey, you just wrote a book. I, you know, the mind can only... <laughs> Don't do so much. (laughs) Um, So I will condense all the information and put it over on my blog post. And of course, uh, if you want to support this podcast and get my, you know, weekly or weekly audio cast forecast that used to be at the beginning of the podcast, you can now get that on Patreon at patreon.com backslash energetic principles. And of course, I'll always give a shout out to San Diego Astrological Society, which I'm now the president of. Oh my God. Yes. I am the queen of that society. Um, <laughs> I'm of you. <laughs> yes. So, um, and so we have uh, Gay Nelson, who will be speaking on Valentine's Day on uh, the male-feminine principle, the balance, the male-female balance, and how eight something, I'm not doing her a disservice right now, but it's, she's telling us how to get balanced with just about anybody, learn how to deal with just about anybody. So if you are in Southern California, and specifically San Diego, uh, February 14th, Joyce Spears Center, Hillcrest, 7.30 p.m. it starts. Um, and so, all right. The last thing I will say is that you need to spread this podcast because Christopher shared some valuable information about where all this comes from. And so spread the good word. Tell a friend. Leave a hopefully nice review wherever you listen to this. Um, and, you know, just spread the good word so that astrology blossoms even further than it has thus far. <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, Christopher, it was such a pleasure talking to you. I'm so it's glad It's always you- a pleasure talking to you, Mel. I wish you lived closer. Well, we can always meet this way and hopefully maybe another day you'll join me for a different topic. (laughs) It would be lovely. It would be so much fun. Fabulous. And thank you so much for listening. And as always, may the stars be with you. 